right. Um, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Does anybody, can someone please open us in a word of prayer? That would be wonderful. Is there any volunteers? Yeah, oh, thanks, Jeremy. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, so this is the fifth lesson now on our study, which is on the decrees of God. And let's just do a quick recap again of what we've covered so far. So the first day, uh, we just introduced the topic and we discussed the biblical basis for this doctrine. So if you're still not sure about this is biblical, you can go back and listen to some of that. On the second day, we studied the fact that in order to correctly deal with God's decrees, we first need to have a, a clear picture of who God is. Right, Adam? Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, we delved into the fact that God is incomprehensible and unsearchable in His ways. And that basically this leaves room for faith. This leaves some room for mystery and um, worship in religion as opposed to just having everything all figured out. And at the end of the day, we, we noticed that the glory of God is supposed to be the center of everything that we Think and everything that we understand theologically and that this so this important aspect regarding mystery and then last week we looked at the doctrine of the decrees in relation to evil and suffering this kind of problem of evil and suffering and we determined that the fact that God has decreed evil and suffering to come to pass does not mean that he himself is evil or that he himself has ever sinned or anything like that he's not guilty of any evil in any respect and so like I said at the beginning all of our lessons are kind of like self, uh, they're all, to the, uh, in and of themselves, they're a complete kind of lesson on a topic. And so hopefully even if you've missed some of that other stuff, you can still follow along really easily today. So today's topic is going to be another one of those kind of dilemmas like we talked about last week was, the, was evil and suffering. This week it's going to be a different dilemma that we're going to deal with. But let's first uh, review the catechism questions and answers together. So I'll read that question and you guys read the answer back to me. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory He is foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Amen. And how does God execute His decrees? God executes His decrees in the works of creation and providence. Thanks, guys. That was, that was great. It's getting better every week, I feel like. Um, but uh, now we're going to try to dive into today's issue a little bit more. and We're kind of going to first unpack what is the problem, what is the dilemma that we're dealing with. So a common objection to the biblical teaching on the decrees of God is, um, as it is expressed in our catechism here and as it is expressed in Reformed theology, is that it undermines human freedom. It underm- undermines human responsibility. And so in other words, they'll say, if God has decreed whatsoever comes to pass, does that not mean that we as humans are robots? Like we're just merely robots just fitting into this scheme of Him having decreed everything that has come to pass? If God has decreed all things that have come to pass from eternity, then is there really such a thing as free will or human responsibility? Okay, so that's our dilemma for today. We're going to deal with in some... some, uh, 
aspects. We're going we're gonna to try to unpack this dilemma a little bit more. And so seeking to, uh, well, first of all, noticing that this is a valid dilemma and seeing it as relevant. You'll remember last week we read this part of the confession, London Confession, and it said there that God is neither the author of sin nor has fellowship with any therein. That's like our question from last week, right? It's like whether God has any evil or any sin or any, in that respect is guilty of any sin. But this case today, it says God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin nor has fellowship with any therein. And then this is, our, this is more of our dilemma today. Nor is violence offered to the will of the creature. So even in him decreeing all things from eternity, the Bible teaches, which is our final authority, that God does not offer violence to the will of the creature. So that's kind of an old-fashioned way of saying that God has not made us into robots. God has still given us a will. He's still given us um, choices to make, decisions to have, and an impact to choose for good, choose to serve Him in our, in our day-to-day walk with Him. So there's no violence offered to the will of the creature, and we're kind of going to try to unpack and understand that better today. And so the next one is, this topic is, is all about free will versus determinism, okay? So I haven't really used this word a whole lot, but basically we've established thus far in our series a strong biblical case that there is an element of determinism in the universe. There's an element of determinedness in the world because God by His power and His decrees has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So there's nothing that surprises God. We've come, we've come to that conclusion. We've, we've concluded that He has decreed everything since the beginning of time. And so there's nothing that surprises Him. There's an element of determinism in the world. Okay, because God exists and God created the world and he's the one who determines how things come to pass. And so what I want to ask is what is what is determinism? Does someone here have like a good kind of idea of what determinism is? It's not the most it's sort of self-explanatory word, but can somebody give me a little bit of a definition um, of what they think that means? Yeah, like it, it'd be kind of along those lines. It's like there's this aspect of all events. That's a good answer. And all events, uh, including human action, are ultimately determined by causes external to their own will. That'd be like the dictionary definition of it. So all events uh, are determined by something outside of the human will. That would be a strict kind of form of determinism. But the thing we have to notice is there is a, there is a valid aspect of that. Okay, because if God is is in the universe and God has decreed all things whatsoever comes to pass, there's an element of this determinedness. There's an element of this determinism in the world. But when it comes to the topic of free will, um, there's there's oftentimes these kind of combating ideas where someone will say it's a hundred percent determined. There's no free will, zero free will. There's no freedom of the creature. There's no freedom of humans. There's no freedom of what God has created. And the other person might say, there's no determinism. The whole future is open. And so that's why we have to, we're going to talk about these couple words here. If this is at first a little bit intimidating, do not worry. It will all become clear. When it comes to this, 
we have two ideas basically. There's incompatibilism and there's compatibilism. And so when you think about this word compatibilism, what you should think of as an example to help you understand it is think of like when you're thinking of two people dating, right? You think of two people dating, are they or are they not compatible with one another? Okay? So compatibilism says free will, so the human will, and this element of determinism are compatible with one another. They can hang out together, they can date, it's good, okay? But incompatibilism means the otherwise. It means it's a philosophy or a perspective on life that says, no, there's no free will, or no, there's no determinism. These two things can't be together. Okay, so either everything is determined and humans don't have free will, that's incompatibilism, or either everything is undetermined and there's no determinism, and that's also another form of incompatibilism. But we as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, we live in the mystery of compatibilism. Okay, so welcome to that word, and remember it's about dating, free will and determinism are compatible with one another. Okay, it means compatibilism. So the biblical perspective equals compatibilism. And, and that is what I want to persuade us of. Because the sad reality is that people who take issue with the Bible's teaching on the decree and believe that it's in conflict with the Bible's teaching about freedom and responsibility, they always tend to invent new ideas about God. They intend to invent new ideas about mankind in which they distort, there's basically two options. Either you, as an incompatibilist, you either distort and dethrone God, and then you overemphasize the freedom of the human being. For instance, you don't have to know what these words mean right now, but like, for instance, some of you already know what they mean, like an open theist or like an Arminian. That person tends to distort or dethrone God and overemphasize the freedom of human beings. Or the other side of incompatibilism is that they maintain a very high view of God, an incredibly high view of God, in fact, a correctly high view of God, but they inaccurately underemphasize the Bible's teaching on uh, freedom. Okay, so that kind of person would be what you call a hyper-Calvinist, someone who believes that there's, there's really no sense in putting in any effort, sense in doing anything as a Christian in terms of using your will in God's service or in the world. Okay, so... Um, I hope you guys understand this. This is, again, this is uh, not intended to be super um, complex. It's just a matter of understanding these two words. Compatibilism. Free will and determinism are compatible with one another. And so incompatibilists, these people who don't think they're compatible with one another, they fall into two camps. They either are those who limit God's decree and power in order to say that people are more free than they are. I'm repeating now myself many times so that we can get the point. Okay? They're either the ones who limit God's freedom or who limit God's decree and his power in order to say that people are more free than the Bible says that they are. Or on the opposite side of the spectrum, there are some philosophers and scientists who believe that the world is so determined, so determined, that in some sense people cannot really be held responsible for their actions at all. There's no such thing as responsibility. They say it's all a matter of your genetics. It's all a matter of how your cells are working. It's all a matter of these different things that are outside of your control. So there's no real human responsibility. And so those people actually end up saying that you're less free than the Bible says you are. 
So an incompatibilist either says you're way more free than the Bible says you are, or it says you're less free than the Bible says you are. And then on the other hand, there are compatibilists, and there's a number of different people in the world who would claim themselves to be compatibilists, um, but they don't all believe the same thing. So we're like a Christian biblical form of that, a compatibilist, someone who believes determinism and free will are compatible with one another. So for our purposes today, the emphasis as always in this, is just going to be to unpack the biblical perspective on the matter. So I just want us to know that the biblical understanding of the decrees is one that says that God has decreed whatsoever comes to pass. And so there is an aspect of this control. There's an aspect of this determinism. There's this very important reality in the world that we never want to dethrone God from. We never want to take away from. While at the same time there is real human responsibility. There's real human responsibility and need to Um, make wise decisions and that is all within the boundaries of what God has told us to do. And And he's created these boundaries within which we are supposed to act and he expects us to act within those boundaries. And so, um, what, uh, what I will do now is I want to present the Bible's teaching on this matter and basically establish that we're not robots. Okay. I want to establish that, um, God is, um, at the same time as us not being robots, God is not limited. He's not handcuffed. He's not surprised by anything. And I hope that by the end of this, you can also join me in being in this position of compatibilism. It's a mysterious place to stand in terms of free will and determinism. You might not have heard the word before, but that's where we must stand biblically. It's the godly and right way to stand. It's God has determined all things, and I'm still fully responsible for all of my own actions. That's where we stand as Christians. There's no other place you can stand biblically. So I want to invite us all, hopefully by the end of this, to step into that spot. And so to help us understand this kind of mystery aspect, there's a helpful quote I found from A.W. Pink here, which you can just read along with me. It says, Side by side with the immutability and invincibility of God's decrees, Scripture plainly teaches that man is a responsible creature and answerable for his actions. And if our thoughts are formed from God's word, the maintenance of the one will not lead to the denial of the other. It's two things, we're going to uphold them. We don't deny one or the other. That there is a real, but this is where it gets interesting. That there is a real difficulty in defining where the one ends and the other begins is freely granted. So A.W. Pink, a much better theologian than myself, is admitting here this is a mystery. This is a difficult topic. We don't know where one ends, determinism starts, and free will ends. Free will ends and determinism starts. We don't know that. But what we do know is that whenever... So this is ever the case where there is a conjunction of the divine and the human. Whenever humans and God interact, there's going to be this conflict and this confusion, this uh, mysterious element. And at the end of the day, um, there is also. it's also worth noting there is not a single... If you think this makes you uncomfortable, this is not like having your T's crossed and your I's dotted quite as accurately or as exactly as you were hoping the Bible would do. There is not a single philosophy on earth. There's not a single um, uh, sequence of people thinking certain things or having a religion or anything like that. There's not a single one that actually solves this problem. Okay? So there's not a human being you're ever going to find on earth who believes in God or has a philosophical conviction or whatever, you're not ever going to find somebody who's got this problem solved. Okay? What we have here is a dilemma, a tension. It's a, it's a human tension. 
Because we are cre- creatures created by God, living in a world determined and, and decreed by Him, and we live in that tension aspect. And so that's an important thing to notice. There's no one on earth that has this problem solved. So we need to be able to be okay with this sort of mystery in, that's involved in this. But at the same time, we're going to look into the biblical teaching on it to get as close to um, hitting the mark as what we can understand biblically. And so first thing we're going to see is that there's two wrong solutions to solving the dilemma. We kind of already looked at, you know, some incompatibilist views and kind of understand what they tend to do. But there's two very common ways of solving this that are actually mentioned in the confession again that they that they consider. It's actually really one, but like when it talks about conditions, I'm going to kind of branch out to another aspect and explain the second dilemma or the second wrong solution to the dilemma. And so the confession says, although God knoweth whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything, one, this is the first wrong view, because he foresaw it as future, or two, as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. Okay, so basically what I've broken this down to is there's a certain line of thinking that says God sees into the future and then decrees based on what he would have seen based on the way that the people would act in that world, as opposed to him actually decreeing it so that it comes to pass the way that it does. I hope that's not too confusing, but... At the end of the day, if this is something that you wonder about or struggle with in your life, then we have to delve a little bit into some things that could potentially be a little bit confusing. But um, So some people try to solve this problem by saying that God looked down the corridors of time and therefore he foreknew what was going to take place. Thus he ordained what would take place on that basis, thus kind of allowing the creature or the person making the decision to ultimately be the one determining the outcome. Okay, but this is kind of just a lazy cop-out because it actually kind of dethrones God again, like I said. And at the end of the day, if God um, is that powerful that he's able to foreknow and see everything that's going to take place and organize the future and like life around that, then of course it's basically just one step removed from just saying he actually decreed it, right? It's just one step removed from saying he actually decreed that thing to come to pass because if you can see into the future and know what's going to happen... You're still the one who's so powerful. You're in control. You can guide all the things that take place to make that event happen. And so basically the idea of God looking down the corridors of time is a popular incompatibilist sort of explanation. And we don't, I don't believe in that. It's, it's not the biblical view of what takes place. And then the second one is some people argue that God's foreknowledge only includes things which are knowable. Okay. So the Bible teaches that God knows all things, but some people say that his foreknowledge, so the way that he sees things to come to pass, doesn't include things that aren't knowable, which in his economy or in his view includes all free human actions. So that's kind of the way that they avoid the problem, the dilemma. They say God has decided that there are certain things that to him are knowable and there's certain things that to him are not knowable. Which, of course, is contradictory to what the Bible teaches. The Bible very clearly teaches us that God knows all things. We're going to look at that more later. But these people will say, free human actions are in the category of not knowable things. Okay? So God has certain things that are knowable to Him and certain things that are not knowable to Him. And so as He goes into the future, 
He doesn't ever determine or involve himself in the free will human actions of people. And um, that, again, is not a very good answer because at the end of the day, that would limit God's power. And it would make him, it would basically say that for, a, for the sake of freedom, that's basic, basically the argument there is against that view is for the sake of us having free will, God willed not to be God. Okay, which isn't a good thing to say. Like God, that again, that doesn't really solve the problem. God willed not to know all things so that we could have free will. Which again is directly contradictory to what the Bible says. We'll look at that more later on. Um, and so, this doesn't line up with Scripture. These views, looking down the corridor of time, that God willed not to be God and, and said there's certain things that He doesn't want to know or does, has refused to, to make knowable to Himself... These kind of views or these kind of perspectives on the dilemma don't actually solve it. So instead, let's look at the Bible. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about this. So what does the Bible say about this? The Bible says three things. The Bible says God knows all things. The Bible says God does whatever he pleases. And the Bible says God depends on no one ever. Okay, so let's look at the proof for that. In John, 1 John 3, 20, God, it says God knows all things. Just very plain and simple. In Hebrews 4.13, which is on there, um, it says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Okay, so he's not chosen not to know certain things. There's nothing that he doesn't know. Proverbs 15 verse 3 says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. They're in every place. The eyes of the Lord see everything. They know everything and have this perspective on it. Psalm 1, uh, 147 verse 5 said that, says that God's understanding has no limits. God's understanding has no limits. There's nothing, there's no boundary, no limits to God's understanding. And then Matthew 10 verse 30 says that God has even numbered the hairs on our head. He knows exactly when that hair will grow up and he knows when it will fall out. He knows exactly how many there are and for how long they're there. And he knows how some of us don't have any. And it's just the way it is. God knows all things. We can't say that there are things that he does not know or that he chooses not to know. Because the Bible very clearly teaches us that he knows all things. And that he's chosen to know them all. And that's just a clear biblical teaching that we have to submit to. And then the next thing is we cannot say that God's actions are dependent on the actions of his creatures. Okay? As if he's waiting for Adam to make a decision. And then he's going to respond and react accordingly. Okay, he's, going to, he's going to say, Adam moves left and i got to fix it and move right or whatever. Fix the, fix the issue. That's not how God works. God is not dependent on his creatures for anything. It's not as though he depends on them at all. When we know um, the reality is that scripture teaches us that God does whatever he pleases. God does whatever He pleases. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, God does whatever He pleases. And then in, and then in addition to that, it says that He depends on no one. So he, um, he depends on no one. That is illustrated for us in Job 41 verse 11, where it says, Who has first given to me that I should repay Him? In other words, there's never that interaction. There's never like, Human being acts and then God needs to respond a certain way. That never happens for our God because God is never dependent on anyone. And then it says, who has um, uh, Psalm 50 verse 10 to 12. 
Uh, it says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us what he wants. Like He doesn't tell us... Um, if, if, if he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you in the sense that he's saying, when it comes to my desires, when it comes to what I want, I just do it. I just make it come to pass. I don't have to depend on you guys for anything. I might choose to decree certain things that involves you guys as my creatures. But God is basically saying, I don't depend on anyone. If I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you because I don't need you to feed me. I don't need you to give me anything. I don't need your... Like, he doesn't depend on his creatures in any respect. And so, basically what we see here is that the Bible's clear teaching and the fact that God knows all things, that God does whatever he pleases, and that God depends on no one, that clear teaching of Scripture, when it comes to our dilemma, when it comes to this problem between free will and determinism, that tells us this. It tells us, instead of finding the problem with God... Instead of dethroning him, instead of rewriting the Bible, instead of twisting scriptures to better fit with our tiny little brains, instead what we should do is we should try to find the problem with ourselves. We should, pro- we should let the tension rest in our limited human understanding. You understand what I'm saying? He, you want to leave the tension with our humanity and our shortcoming and our foolishness and our lack and our createdness and our finiteness and our puniness, and our fact that our brains are so small. Leave the tension there. Don't do what the incompatibilist does and go change God or go and change the Bible. That's not the answer. I know that that's tempting. In fact, if you feel that temptation or that you feel this difficulty between free will and determinism, you might be tempted to go and do that. But don't do that. The Bible's teaching is very crystal clear on this matter. And so the next thing we're going to look at is that there is a specific biblical understanding of freedom that we need to have. Okay? The biblical understanding is that the degree to which humans are free is the degree to which God has decreed for them to be free. Okay? So there's limits on our freedom. Our freedom is only within God's boundaries. So therefore, we are free and we are responsible. And we are, rea- are we, we are required to act a certain way. And we will be disciplined or punished accordingly if we don't act that way. But in reality, we are not nearly as free. We're really not nearly as free as many people would like us to be. That's kind of the other side of it, right? Because there's these other people who are saying we should be as free as we, explaining how free they think they should be or dethroning God to increase their own freedom. And then there's this other aspect where we have a lot of people um, kind of then as a backlash who might say, well, we're not free at all. That's a mistake. We are free, but we're only as free as God has allowed us to be within his boundaries, which means we're not as free as what many people think we are as people. And I think this is where it gets very controversial and difficult for us to understand because when we're living our day-to-day life, we feel so free, don't we? We feel so free. I can wear this color of pants. I can buy that kind of car. I can try that drug. I can, whatever it is, you can do so many things. You feel like you're free. But at the end of the day, we need to understand the Bible actually puts boundaries on our human freedom. 
It puts restrictions on our human freedom and actually limits the, the true sense of freedom that we have. So we consider ourselves way more free than the Bible actually says that we are. And this is illustrated for us quite well in James 4. Uh, let's turn to James 4 quickly. I want to show that aspect because um, the Bible is saying here in verse 13... It says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. In other words, I'm going to be free. I'm going to make decisions. I'm going to make plans. I'm not saying plans are bad, by the way. I'm just saying this thing is teaching us that we're not as free as we think. Let us buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life? Right? We don't, we're not as free as we think. We don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is our life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. It's in, and then here's the answer. It says, Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. You see what I mean? We're in these boundaries. We're within these confines of what the Lord wills for us. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And then this is actually very key here. In verse 16, it says, But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And so what the author of James is saying here is he's telling us and he's going to say, I will go and do this and that to act like we're as we're to act like a free person to express yourself as though you're really this very, very free person that can do whatever they want, go wherever they want, buy and sell and make a profit and do whatever it is that they want to do, to do that is actually a form of pride. It says, But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And so what we really need to do when we're considering this topic then is to understand that if we overestimate our own freedom, if we overstate how free we really are, it's actually a form of pride. If we overestimate and overthink our own freedom, we're making a big mistake in that regard in terms of our relationship to God. It's a proud posture to have. And on this note, on this note regarding our freedom and how a biblical understanding of freedom is, from that James passage and just our everyday experience, we already know that like so many things in our life happen kind of automatically. So many things in our life how many things in our life happen like more knee-jerk reaction than happen consciously or willfully, right? So many things in our day-to-day life, they just happen automatically uh, without much conscious forethought. And uh, there's certain things, you know, we can plan, we have a will, we can make decisions, we can make ideas. But so often our circumstance adjusts our day for us and it's completely outside of our control. And ultimately we have to ascribe that to God and His determining of our steps, Right? When, uh, when, we, when we're trying to make a decision, right, on where we should go, where we should move, what we should do, what do we always say? God opens the door and God closes the door. These are things that we don't have any control over. You send in a job application, Dalton, and you send it in. What does it happen? God either opens the door or God closes the door. And you basically, all you do is you try your best. But at the end of the day, so much of our life is outside of our control, right? And so that's kind of an interesting an important thing to realize is we're just not as free as we really think we are. God is very much in control and directing our steps. And um, 
Yeah, so there's this myriad of forces, this myriad of things in God's providence acting on us at all times. And so actually what we do as Christians is we submit to his providence. We acknowledge that element of determinism. And within that, we act wisely and we try to please him and we try to do what he's commanded for us to do. The scriptures actually teach something else very interesting. It actually says that before we become Christians, we are bound. Our will is actually bound. Okay? 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 to 26, it says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Then this is where it gets interesting. It says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Here it says, That they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. So an unbeliever or an opponent to the faith is walking through their life and in their perception, the way they perceive their life is that they are so free. I get to choose what kind of pants to wear, what job to do, what money to make, all this stuff. In their perception, they feel incredibly free. But this verse is saying to us, no, in fact, they are captured by the devil to do his will. And so, in other words, they're blinded by sin. They're blinded by their original sin, by the fall. They're blinded by all of these things that actually make their will, their will, the thing that drives them to act, the thing that drives them to do things, that will that they have is actually captive, right? It's captive to Satan. It's not captive to God and his will. And so, basically, within that, they feel free. They feel like a big-time free guy. But really, they're captive to sin, They're captive to their lusts. They're captive to their addictions. They're captive to any vast number of things. And so the Bible teaches us about this element of our will being bound. Our will being bound. And so thankfully by the grace of God, He has allowed some of us to be born again into newness of life. And so now, it's not like we're not bound to anything. It's not like there's no boundaries on our will. It's not like there's nothing constraining our decisions But we're now born into a newness of life and a newness of hope. And the law of God is written onto our heart, right? And the Bible says we're given a heart of flesh, a new heart, a new nature. That's a heart that wants to actually do what's good. So all of a sudden our will, it's not like it's any less bound. It's not like it's any less stuck within constraints. It's not like our freedom is any less bound up. It's just that now all of a sudden we're obsessed with doing what Christ requires. We seek first the kingdom of God. We want to do what pleases God because we want to do what um, the gospel calls us to do, right? And so there's still this element of freedom within that, but there's this element of being bound within that. We're now bound by God to do His will. We're bound and even sealed by the Holy Spirit to lead us on that path of righteousness. And so um, I think that this is actually a pretty encouraging reality for us. I think it's really great and very freeing when you can say, I'm not as free as I thought I was. I'm actually bound to Christ. But then also saying, I am free. And it's important that I obey Christ at the same time. I have a certain element of freedom, but also I'm not as free. God in His providence is guiding my steps. God in His providence has sealed me with the Holy Spirit and bound me to His will and to His law. It's so encouraging, especially for somebody like me and somebody like you. Because if you're honest... You know your own tendency to wander, right? 
You know your own tendency to do things that are evil, to seek after your own heart, to wander away from God's will. And it's an amazing encouragement to know that God has actually bound us to himself. And he's not going to let us wander too far. He's going to bring us back into there. We're not robots, right? We're not robots. We're not willless creatures. But absolutely we are bound. And we are, and we are actually encouraged to know this is the case, right? It's, it's an incredible reality for us to know. And that's, that's, a, that's why in, a, in Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he can even go as far as to say that the good things that we do are things which God has prepared in advance for us to walk in them. How interesting is that? So in other words, God is saying, hey, use your will, decide to do good things. But for the record, I've prepared those in advance for you to walk in them. Like, come on, that's mystery, first of all. Second of all, that's exactly our whole point of this whole thing. We're not a robot, but at the same time, we're walking in these good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in them. And that should be encouraging to us. But that kind of, that verse ultimately is one of those ones that just really strikes you when it comes to this topic. And so now I'm trying to quickly wrap up here with some concluding thoughts as we get to now kind of see the biblical teaching of it and understanding how we should apply this. Um, The first thing is that God has decreed certain events to come to pass and he has decreed them to come to pass by the free actions of his creatures. And so this is beyond our wisdom and understanding and it is tremendous foolishness. This is why it's so interesting. Like, it's tremendous foolishness to freely and willingly choose to reject God on the basis that he has supposedly not made you free and willing enough. Like, I, that, that might have been confusing. But it's so dumb. If God says to you, I'm God and I've, I've ordained all things that come to pass and I've bound you within these certain parameters to do my will and I've given you a will and use that will to please me. And then you go, no, I'd rather be more free. That's so silly. Instead, you should respond and you should say, yes, I'd happily do what you said. Thank you. You're God. You're amazing. So many people reject God on this basis because they don't want to serve a God who is in control of all things, who's decreed whatsoever comes to pass. But rather, we should flip it the other way and say, no, God has given us this opportunity to freely and willingly and enjoyably within his parameters do what he says and to enjoy our life. It's the best life, right? And then the next thing is that if God has decreed all things, then why would we even try? So some people will say, okay, well, if all things are decreed, then there's no reason for me to evangelize because God's going to save them. There's no reason for me to preach. There's no reason for me to do good things because I'll just do them. There's no, like you kind of have this detachedness in your Christian life because you overemphasize the determinism aspect. But I would like to emphasize this morning that in fact... That's such a strange way, again, such a backwards and strange way to look at things, right? Because I'd like to use this illustration. If you know that you are five minutes away from winning the Super Bowl because you are up by 10 points. Okay, so it's like almost guaranteed that you're going to win this Super Bowl. Like maybe, maybe up by 20 points, 30 points even, an insane margin. There's no way you could possibly lose this game in five minutes. Does that make you play less hard or does that make you play more hard? I feel like as an athlete, you're always, when you're, when you're sure you're going to win, you're excited that you're close to the finish line or you're close to winning the game. It doesn't make you say, oh, why would I even try? 
It actually makes you play more excitedly. It makes you play more energetically. It makes you put more effort in. You'd think that the fact that God has decreed and worked all things would actually make you more eager to be a part of it. Because it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed there's going to be a heaven. It's guaranteed there's going to be um, a whole new kingdom all across the whole earth. It's guaranteed. Everything is guaranteed. That should make you more excited, not less. That should make you more energized to participate, not less. And so God commands us to seek Him and He gives us means by which to do so. And so if we're His children, then we won't tie ourselves into all these philosophical and theological knots and sit back on our couch and do nothing. Instead, rather, we're going to go and happily and diligently put in effort, right? We're going to happily and diligently go and do what God has required us to do. Um, this, uh, since I'm yeah, a little bit low on time, I'm going to very briefly summarize this third one, which is to use it in a sanctified manner. So when talking about this dilemma and this tension, uh, Wilhelmus Abrockel said, he says, um, he says, being firmly grounded in the truth, we maintain upon the basis of God's word. So that's what we've done so far. We've maintained that this is the case on the basis of God's word, that there is a decree of God. And then it says, this is a truth which we confess but we seek to use it in a sanctified manner. Which I thought that was helpful, right? You don't use this truth to club people or to tell them that they're... Um, basically to... I don't know how to explain it, but like I think if you've been a Christian long enough or if you've understood these doctrines long enough, you understand that there's a way to use this wrongly. There's so many ways to use this determinism, the predestination, the decree of God. There's so many ways you can use this wrongly and for ill intent. There's so many ways you could use this to actually opt, to actually use it as an opt out of your own responsibility. You could say, ah, my buddy's an unbeliever. I don't have to tell him the gospel. You know, like it's the same thing I was talking about earlier. But there's so many ways you could use this in an unsanctified manner. But living in this world, this mystery, this element of tension that I'm describing, in this is where we use it in a sanctified manner, right? It's where we try to navigate our life, understanding that God is in control and that we are called to do certain things and we're called to participate. And this is, this is really well summarized in two verses that I'll just conclude with. In Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here's a famous verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that sound like? That sounds like free will. Work. Do something. Use your will. Will. Want to be saved. Do that. And then the next sentence. It's crazy. It's like exactly what I'm talking about. It's this mystery. It's this paradox. The next sentence says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So you work and God works in you both to will and to work for your good pleasure. And you're supposed to be okay with that mystery right there. And you're supposed to be able to live in that context right there. And so when talking about the world where free decisions create chaos and suffering, the book of Ecclesiastes is a very helpful book even in this topic, in this discussion regarding evil and suffering and free will and things like that. We realize we are not robots. And the book of Ecclesiastes ends like this. After, you know, discussing like, why is one person rich? Why is one person poor? Why is it hot and sunny? Why does people suffer? Like all these different things it covers. And it ends with this. This is the conclusion of the matter. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is basically the conclusion of Christian thinking. 
Christian life. It says, fear God and keep his commandments. In other words, use your will. For this is man's all. Use your will. Use what, who you are and what you've been given for God. And don't mess yourself up by overthinking all this other crazy stuff. And then it says, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so content yourself with doing what God has called you to do. Keep his commandments, walk on his path. And at the end of the day, God will um, be the one who's guiding that path in a mysterious way. He'll take you through his providence in a mysterious way. At the end of the day, we know we're not robots, but we're grateful for a God who's so in control. We're grateful for a God who's so sovereign and so powerful and so mighty, right? And so it's, it's a mystery. It's difficult sometimes. But at the end of the day, that's kind of how we should conclude. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is man's all. And that's what we should content ourselves with. So let me close in a word of prayer and then we'll be on our way. Father in heaven, God, we just thank you so much that you are a huge, powerful all-knowing God who does whatever he pleases, Lord. And that gives us a great amount of comfort as little finite people who are not nearly as free as we think. And also gives us a great amount of joy knowing that the work that we do and the effort we put in is not going to go in vain. You're going to be with us and through your spirit working through us to do the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. Help us to fear you, Lord. Look at you as big. Look at you as who you truly are and keep your commandments and realize that this is our whole duty as people, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.